Thank you for joining us for another podcast from Covenant Community Church. And now, today's message from Senior Pastor John Lott. Can somebody say amen? amen? Can you say amen one more time? Amen. amen. The best way to live a life of gratitude is by having a proper perspective. Apollo 11 landed on the surface of the moon on Sunday, July the 20th, 1969. Praise the Lord. I was a little boy then. Most of us are familiar with the astronaut Neil Armstrong's historic statement as he stepped off of the lunar onto the moon surface, and he made these statements when he stepped off. He said, one small step for man. Come on, what's the next? One giant leap for mankind. Now, we all remember that in history, don't we? But the part that you don't remember is this. A few know about the first meal eaten there as well. Buzz Aldrin had brought aboard the spacecraft a tiny communion kit provided by his church. Aldrin sent a radio broadcast to Earth asking listeners to contemplate the events of that day and to give thanks. Then, in a radio blackout for the prophecy, Aldrin read, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And silently he gave thanks and partook. I can only imagine as Buzz was now looking from a different vantage point because when we're on the earth and we see the moon, the moon looks so small. Now here they are on the moon looking back at the earth and you can get a glimmer of how awesome God is. And at that very moment, he didn't even care about what mankind thought. He wanted to thank God. So I believe that he got uh, the proper perspective. Somebody say proper perspective. If you were to stand on the side of the road and you look down the road at a few telephone poles, the poles which are closer to you would seem larger, but as the further and further you got down the road, the poles would begin to look smaller and smaller. Now, you would think your natural brain would tell you that those poles are smaller, but they're not. It's just that from your natural perspective, the things that are closer to you in the temporal world looks bigger. Come on, somebody. And although those things aren't really bigger than anything that are in your future, if you were to leave this position and go to the last position, you will see that those poles were exactly the same size as the poles in this situation. But you got to change your perspective so that you can see that the things in your future are not smaller, but the same size. Somebody say proper perspective. See, Esau had, <laughs> see, you're going ahead of me. See, Esau had this same kind of deception because for the things which are seen are temporal. Come on, somebody. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Sometimes we have the propensity to think that because the things closer to us are bigger, our circumstances, our situations, uh, our financial problem, uh, our sickness. We think because we're close to it in the natural that is much bigger than what God has in the eternal. And so we have to change our perspective so that we can see that what we have in our future is eternal and is much greater than what we see in the natural right now. Amen. Somebody say proper perspective. See, this kind of deception is what got Esau. He was a brother of Jacob. And in Genesis 25, it tells us one day Esau, most of us know the story, Esau went out hunting. 
and then he didn't catch anything. Right? So on his way back, I'm sure, now, the Bible calls it some pottage. Now, I, 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 that didn't sound inviting to me, but I don't know what pottage is, but apparently it smelled pretty good. So when Esau came to his brother Jacob, Jacob was cooking this pottage. Beans, I guess is what it was. And so here comes Esau. He has not caught anything. So I'm sure he was discouraged that he has not caught anything. I'm, I'm sure, you know, he was mad at himself. He's hot. He's dirty. He's frustrated. And he's hungry. That's what he sees now. I'm frustrated right now. I'm hot right now. I, I, I'm, I'm, I just can't believe I didn't catch anything right now. And on top of all of that, I'm hungry. That's what I see right now, and this is what's temporal. So he comes up on Jacob. You know, Jacob's name means, you know, flim flammer, that's what my daddy would call him. You know, schemer, conniver. Right, that was, he was a trickster, tricksy, tricksy. Right? So Jacob, he a trick, man, Jacob will trick you out of anything. You had to watch Jacob's. It might be some Jacob's in the church. You had to watch Jacob's. They'll trick you. They'll trick you and give you prophylize. Come back. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. So here's Jacob. Jacob sees his brother Esau is all in the flesh. Because he sees Esau, listen to me very carefully, saints of God. Esau now is driven by his appetite. Now Jacob says, I can take advantage of him because of his appetite. Come on, somebody. See, listen, you, it doesn't matter what's being cooked. If you're not hungry, you're not eating. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to present your way. If you're not hungry for it, you're not going to eat it. See, the bait is not as important as the hunger inside the person. See, the enemy is not going to give you the bait you don't want. Okay, let me clear this thing up. Every man, including woman, is drawn away by their own lust and enticed. You can't even blame the devil. You can't even blame him. He's doing what, he's, what he does, right? So you're drawn away by your own lust. So in other words, you're drawn away by the appetite that's within you. Whatever hunger that you have, that's what you're drawn away to. Come on, somebody. And so it doesn't matter. If you are controlling your appetite, it doesn't matter what the enemy presents to you. You're not eating. It doesn't matter how sweet and wiggly and pretty that bait is that Randy uses when he fishes. If the fish aren't hungry, it can wiggle and wiggle and wiggle and wiggle. And that fish will look at the bait just like this. Mm. Other fish will come up. They say, you see that? Yeah, I see it. Are you hungry? Mm -mm. That don't look right, does it? No, it's been there too long. <laughs> If you ain't hungry, you ain't eating it. See, the reason we read the word of God is so that we can suppress the appetite. And the more and more you read of the word of God, the more and more he'll show you your appetite that you can repent of it. Amen. 
And see, once you repent of it, then you're not hungry for that situation. You're not hungry for that person. You're not hungry for that relationship. You're not hungry for that, re- that particular situation any longer. So when it presents itself, you go, please, I'm not, I'm not biting. I'm not hungry anymore. I got you. I know you. I've seen you before. Come on, somebody. Am I talking to the right people? So he appealed to Jacob's appetite. So now Jacob says, I'll give you some of this pottage if you give me your birthright. See, the birthright wasn't temporal. The birthright was eternal. Are y'all seeing this with me here, saints of God? Because of his appetite, he, he was ungrateful for his inheritance. And when you are ungrateful for your inheritance, you'll give it up because of your appetite. So Jacob said, listen, I'll give you some of this if you just give me your land. You, you give me all of what daddy wants to give you. Everything that daddy wants to give you, you give it to me. Because apparently you are not thankful right now. You're not grateful for You want my beans more than you want daddy's blessings. See, let me tell you something. There are a lot of people in the church right now want the beans over the blessings. You, you just want something that's small when God says, no, I got something bigger for you. But I want this right now because I'm hungry for this right now. God says, no, just wait. It's called delayed gratification. God says, wait, wait on the Lord. He said, but God, I want this right now. I want this right now. God said, just hold on, child. And you'll you'll forfeit for something right now because it's temporal. And God said, I have something much better for you down the road. Am I talking to the right church this morning? So, So, man, he gave up his birthright. Something that was eternal, something that was a blessing, something that came from his father. And you can't forfeit what God wants to give you. It doesn't matter what somebody offers you right now in this world. It should money, your compromise, nothing should stop you from getting what God has for you in the eternal. You should be defiant and say, there's nothing that anybody can offer me in this world today that's going to make me lose my eternal value. Okay, all right, all right. Y'all will get excited in a second. So... When we look at this, maybe, maybe, he thought, what difference does it make if I do this today? What difference if I compromise right now? What difference if I cheat on my taxes? What difference if I, I'm single, but, you know, anybody going to know. And I'm lonely. You know, and I'll just go and repent. What difference does that make? What difference does it make if I compromise on my job and I cheat a little so that I can look good in front of the boss? What difference does that make? What difference does it make if I lie a little bit to church folk just to get a little money from them? What? I don't nobody know. It ain't going to hurt anybody. What difference does it make, saints of God? So I got to ask you something. What's your mess of pottage? What, what, what things that you see the world cooking up and because of your appetite, you're willing to give up something later for something right now? What, what, I know these are some gut punches. I'm sorry I had to turn it that way. 
because I, right now, I am concerned for her. And when I say for her, I'm talking about the church. I am concerned that she is compromising. That she wants the big, she wants the light and the smoke. But you're going to have to ask yourself, who's the man behind the curtain? Because all of that display of nothingness don't mean anything compared to what God has for you. And don't take big for better. And don't take small for better. Take God for it all. Because when God is in it, it doesn't matter how big or how small, there's no man behind the curtain. Y'all know what I'm talking about, Oz, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I am Oz, right? That's how church is today. I am Oz. You got that big Superman and Superwoman in the pulpit. Can't nobody preach like me, 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 me. God has got your blessing, 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 blessing. <laughs> Everything is built on that one person. All of it is built on that one person. Nobody else in the, in the church can preach. You know, you got, the, you got thousands of people in your church, and you're the only one that can preach. Okay, you got, you, are you, are you, are you are, really? So you're seeing the big pole right now that you're the only one in thousands of people that can preach, can prophesy, bring the word of God, can, can teach on the fivefold. You're the only one that can do that. Out of thousands of people in the house of God, you're the only one. Moses had to get delivered from that. And a worldly pagan man had to come to Moses and say, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to have to divide this work up, Moses. You're going to you're gonna have to get some other people, some over 100, some over 50. You're going to have to divide this work up. If Moses had to divide the work up, I think we do too. Now, listen, let me just tell you a little bit about Moses. You may not understand something. Mo- Moses was bad. I mean, with a capital B. Moses was off the chain. There is no other man in the Bible where God used like Moses. Let me tell you something. Man. Let me tell you, Moses, <laughs> Moses couldn't even take a bath because every time he would look at the water, it would part. <laughs> Mo, Mo, Moses was bad. Let me tell you something, he was bad. <laughs> Moses had experienced God on so many levels. Come on, look at the ten plagues. Look at what God did using this one man to defeat a nation like America. Egypt was the most powerful nation on the land, and Moses brought down Pharaoh. Why? Because he had a powerful God, and he believed God. So he came in and said, no, my God said, let my people go so that they can go and worship me. Let me tell you something, saints of God. When you got a mandate from God, it doesn't matter how powerful people look in front of you. It does not matter how they, how they act towards you. It doesn't matter even how they treat you. If you got a mandate from God, stick with the mandate of God. Go in and do what God has called you to do. Go in with some faith and say, God told me to do this. And for God I live. And for God I will die. Come on, somebody. We got to stop punking out on people. We got to take a stand today. You think you're going to go against a pharaoh and you all weak and timid? No, you're not. Now, Moses was, he was, he was a, a meek man, but he wasn't weak. The Bible said he was one of the meekest men in the Bible, but he wasn't weak. Now, God used Moses. He used Moses in ways, man, when I think about it, it blows water from a rock. 
water from a rock. Moses prayed to God. God responded. Water. Let me see. I don't know if you guys are getting this with me. Water from a rock. So. (laughs) It's hard for me to wrap my hands. Water from a rock. Oh, he tapped the rock. He was supposed to speak to it. I'll get back to that in a minute. (laughs) You're not supposed to be hitting something God tell you to speak to. And so, so he hit the rock twice and the water came out. So in other words, Moses, through the power of God and his faith, got resources from unlikely places. That's Moses. Somebody say that's Moses. God can use you to get resources from unlikely places. When anybody else see, they say, oh, that's a rock. What you see is resource. Come on, somebody. See, y'all don't hear what I'm saying here. You might be around some friends and you go, you know what? I need to make an association with that person right there. You might be around a friend and say, why are you trying to get to know them? They don't have anything for you. Why are you doing that? See, when you got a word from God, you have to ignore words from your people and people that are around you that's trying to stop you from the word of God because that person, although they might not look like a resource stream from the outside, but from the inside, you got an inside job called the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost says you need to talk to that person because that person got something that you need. Somebody says an inside job. Uh-huh. God can bring resources from unlikely places if you just listen to him. But listen, Moses. Moses did all of these things. Let me tell you how bad Moses was. So y'all better keep your mouth off of me. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. You, you can talk bad about me. I don't care. It, 250 folks rose up against Moses with Korah. Come on. And they, 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 they badmouthed the man of God. Right? Mo- Moses went to God on them. See, boy, when you go to God on folks, man, you just, let, you just leave it in the hands of the Lord. Now, listen, guys. Listen to me very carefully. This, this, this if, 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 if the rock wasn't good enough, this blew my mind. That's why you don't have to watch TV. Just read the Bible. The Bible says, y'all ready? The earth opened up. <gasps> it opened up. And if you were on the wrong side, you f- they fell in. Boom. Now, let, let me just, can I, can I, let me just get real for you for a second. See, if, if, if I was there and I saw that, I, that would not have been any problem at all. Moving closer to Moses. You know what I'm saying? While all this was happening, I would have been inching closer to Moses. <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm saying? So I, I'm not the brightest or the sharpest one in the, in the in this drawer, but boy, when I see something like that, it don't take much. Do you realize they rebel the next day? The next day, this is Moses. Somebody say Moses. Moses. Mo- that was Moses, guys. Moses did that. One time they bickered against Moses. Yeah. Moses went to the Lord, and the Bible said he stood in the gap between God and them because God was going to kill them. Moses said, Lord, don't kill them. Boy, let me tell you something. He said, I, you just take me out, God, but don't hurt them. That's Moses. 
This is the same guy that says, Lord, I beseech thee by the mercies of God. If I have found favor in thy sight, show me now your glory. So you got to ask yourself, wait a minute. God used Moses and all of these things that Moses said, I want to see your glory. So apparently all of the stuff that God did wasn't his glory. Moses knew something that most Christians don't. Just because God does things for you, that doesn't mean that's his glory. You know where his glory is? He said, there's a place by me. Good graces of life. He said, you can't see me and live. He said, but I got a place by me. I can put you in the rock. Come on, somebody. He said, because if you see me, you will die as a man. But if you get in the rock, that rock is Christ. If you get in the rock, then you can see me through the eyes of Jesus Christ. So his glory is understanding who he is, and you have a relationship with him. That's the glory of God. The glory of God is not all the pompous circumstance that we see. The glory of God is saying, I, I know him. Not just in the power of his resurrection, but in the fellowship of his suffering. I know the Lord. I embrace that old rugged cross. I fall on my knees and say, God, I stand in the need. That's his glory, saints of God. That's his glory of knowing that I can get a word from God, that my little old finite ears can hear the all-powerful God. And we're concerned about what the devil is doing. Shame on you. He's defeated already. Embrace the cross. Embrace the way of giving and not the way of grasping. It's the old rugged cross. So sometimes we have to change our perspective. Moses changed my perspective because I thought all of that stuff that happened was God's glory. And God has said, no, don't forget about all that. He said, I want you. Notice I said, I want you. Not that he needed me. Mm. I'm thankful that God wanted me. That's that old rugged cross. That no matter what you've done, saints of God, he can wipe that slate clean. But listen, there is a responsibility to living for the Lord. Amen. All right. So y'all got me all off. Let me come back. All right. So. Remember this, Esau was ungrateful for his birthright, and his want in his situation overshadowed his perspective of his future inheritance. Let me give you something about perspective. Perspective has a Latin root meaning. It says to look through or to perceive. All of the meanings of perspective have something to do with looking. Uh, if we say to someone that, that they have perspective, uh, we mean she or he has a sensible outlook on life. If we see the world as a place that owes us something, you will live a life of entitlement. Entitled people seldom feel grateful because they make excuses rather than making better choices. All right, this thing just turned pragmatic. All right, the spirit of God just changed, right? It went pragmatic on you, right? So I shared something on Facebook from my personal perspective, right? Some of you saw it. This was my post. This came from my heart, right? I'm going to read it to you. 
I said, the older I get, the more I have learned that people are less the product of their environment and more product of their choices. There are so many people who have come from dysfunctional and tumultuous environments, but they didn't allow their environment to become an inescapable web of inevitability. They use truth to shape their personal lives that in turn provoke societal change rather than allow societal changes to determine their personal choices. Therefore, listen, I said, therefore, I look at myself as a product of my choices, not a victim of my circumstances. Now, do you know sometimes people can take stuff like that all the way left? Now, I had to get somebody straight. Because if you come at me like that, you better be ready. Right? I don't know if y'all read it or not, but I was nice. But I had to let her know. <laughs> I just had to let her know that you took the whole thing out of context. Right? And furthermore, I could have gone off on her and said, you know what? I won't even justify your lukewarm response with a response. Because you don't, you, you're not even qualified to even address this issue. Because of where I came from, you didn't come from there. Right? The neighborhood I came from, you didn't come from there. The shots that I heard every night, you didn't come from there. The sirens that I heard, I went to sleep to sirens every night, you didn't come from there. My friends were either in jail, dead, or drug dealers, you didn't come from there. So what I was talking about is I am a product of my choices. I could have been a drug dealer. I could be in jail. I could be, be dead right now. Why? But that was my environment. But I didn't allow my environment to dictate to me my choices. Now, we can make excuses for our environment. I don't have a daddy. My mama wasn't at home. I didn't have enough money. I was grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. We can make all kinds of excuses, but you're going to have to start making better choices. Especially when you say you got God. Right? Now, I was real sweet. If y'all notice at the very end, <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to kick them and then you pat them on the back. <laughs> So I was being sweet because she needed to understand I was coming from my perspective, right? And I'm grateful, praise God. I'm grateful that my mama and daddy didn't have to come see me in jail. I'm grateful that they didn't have a funeral, that they had to bury a child before they died. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the environment that I came from. I really am. I had to be grateful for coming from the hood because now I got a perspective that a lot of people who are talking on social media don't even have a clue about. Like my daddy say, if you never stood in my moccasins, you can't tell me how to skin my deer. You going to tell me what's in the hood? When the last time you been in the hood? You going to tell me what's there? I know what's there. Listen, I am more susceptible of getting killed by somebody that looked like me. In the hood. Now, if you want to know the facts, that is a fact. Now, if we're going to deal with facts, we're going to deal with some facts. So if you roll up on me, you better roll up right. Because I like to deal with facts. I don't deal with rhetoric or talking points. I don't need CNN or Fox News or anything like that. I got the good news. And listen, the good news of Jesus Christ is what we need today in our communities. So... This thing is getting ready to turn. It's getting ready to turn. Let, let, let me go ahead and turn this thing. Because, see, 
there are two trees, two ways, and two philosophies. See, there's two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. See, when you eat from the tree of life, life-giving spirit of God compels you to think of others as valuable, worthy, and significant. This is a life dependent upon God and embraces his way of living and giving. So let me just say this. We are living in a society that does not value other people. Can I be honest with you for a second? No white person here needs to repent to me by what somebody did 400 years ago. So you telling me I got to repent for something my great, 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 great granddaddy did. The Bible says, no, you're not responsible for the sins of the next generation. We don't value each other, even in the church. We place no value. You and when you see the climate today, it is a climate that says you're not valuable. If you disagree with me, you're not a value to me. I don't value anything you say. Even if you don't disagree, even if you give your perspective and somebody sees it from their eyes, they don't hold value to what I just said. So you disqualify me as giving something good because you don't value me. For a man to kill his pregnant wife and his two young girls, you have to devalue life. Huh? You kill your pregnant wife and your two pretty baby girls? You have to devalue life. For a woman to drop her car in a, in a lake with her two kids in the car, you have to devalue life. Are you here with me, saints? 3,000 babies killed a day. You have to devalue life. Now, I like talking about this kind of stuff because I feel like churches have gotten too weak on it. We should be pro-life. That's what I stand for. It's pro-life. I know situations happen. I know that. But I stand for life because the Bible says that the blood, that the life is in the blood. Do you know the blood vessels are formed in week five? So people say, well, there's no blood there when they conceived. But week five, you got blood vessels. Right? At week five, they don't even know. They think they just ate too much. Right? Week five, they're blood vessels. If the nurses can correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, thank you. So if we're going to deal with Okay, here I go. If we're, and because I'm black, and because I'm from the hood, I can come from a perspective that some people in this church can't. Let me tell you something about what's going on in our community away from social media. Our biggest problem is us. Now, you can mad at me if you want to, but I'm going to sleep well tonight because I'm going to tell you the truth. Our problem in, in my hood was me. I wasn't afraid of cops. I was never afraid of police because I said, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir. I came home because that's what my daddy taught me. 
right? What I was afraid of is somebody that looked like me would snuff me out because I might look like one of the other boys that they were after. So we have to learn, black people, we're going to have to learn to police our own selves. Don't worry about what Trump is doing or what the Democrats are doing or what the Republicans are doing. What we need to focus on is what am I doing to make things better? Who am I talking to to make things better? Am I willing to cross the aisles to talk to people? Do you realize I have a good friend right now. He's a Republican, and, and he is a, a representative. And sometime we go out to eat dinner with them. We love them. They love us. He's a man of God. And because the man is a Republican, some of my people, they think that they can tell me who my friend should be. The arrogance of it. Wait a minute, and you know I don't, you ain't gonna punk me out now. I'm just telling you, because I don't do that kind of stuff on social media. You know when I do it, I do it in your face. You know what I do? Listen, bro, can you meet me Monday morning for lunch, and I'll respond to your little backhanded comments, and then you respond to me in my face, eye to eye. No, don't get all bold and bad and brave on social media. No, you're gonna talk to me face to face, and we're gonna see who's gonna punk each other out. You with me on that, bro? See, when you stand up on some feet, they be like, oh, well, oh, man, I'm sorry. I should have uh, I should have really read what you wrote there. Uh, yeah, you should have written that. I, I choose who my friends are. I got friends that are Democrats. I got friends that are Republicans. I don't have a party affiliation. I'm an independent. I don't like any of them. I'm going to just be honest with you. None of them are godly. None of them. Both sides. None of them are godly. Some of y'all might even leave this church. But you know what? I have come to the point to where I'm going to tell the truth regardless of who wants to hear it or not. And sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. They just want to complain about stuff. So if you want facts, you can come get some facts from me. Where is Black Lives Matter when it comes to real black lives dying? Now, and I'm talking from a black perspective because I'm black. Where are they in Chicago? St. Louis? There's more black people dying from black people in St. Louis than any other city in the United States per capita. Over 1,300 people in Chicago shot. 344 people dead since January in Chicago. Black on black. Black people. Black people. These are good black people. Where, where, where's the outrage? Where, where, what about those kids? You hear saints? So you're not going to come at me one-sided. Yeah, we got, we got racial people. Yeah, I know that. As long as we got sin, we're going to have races. And some of you might be a racist. That's why I came to deal with this kind of stuff in the church, because that crap should not be in the house of God. Now, somebody going to take my words and say, oh, he's all up against black folks. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just saying this when you start. See, social justice has become a religion. And people hold their social justice above their Christianity. Man, I'm a pastor. I know what I come against with people that talk this mess. And as soon as I start spewing out facts, they go, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know you didn't know. 
Because you're looking at things on one side. You got to look at the whole. Hello, somebody. Listen, saints of God, don't let nobody show you what's temporal that's big. When God is trying to show you something that's eternal. That's why he gave us the Holy Ghost. So that we can be reconciled unto God. You know what that means? That means we were brought into a right standing with him. And if you know what that means, that means you can't hold a greater value of one culture above the other. That's what that means. Do you know none of us are pure? We got everything in us already. Even the Rossifarian brothers, these brothers, all we got white, black, and everybody. White supremacists, yeah, they full of black folks in them. So they should be killing themselves. And if you go to the book of Acts, he said, I have made all from one man. We all came from a hodgepodge of everybody else. And I, 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 uh. So when I started talking about gratitude, the father said to me, you know, people really don't respect one another. They don't value each other. Stand to your feet. I want you to look at the person next to you. Hold, hold them by the hands. Anybody that's around you, grab them by the hands. It might have to be three of you to get together. We're going to do something today because, you know what? I know that there are issues in the world. But at some point, the church has got to get it right. You can't say that you love God, but then you talk about Hispanic people behind their back. You know, they can't do nothing but cut my grass. Do you know that's racist? That's racist. Cut your own dog on grass. Alejandro de la Luz does my yard. When I met Alex, he was a young man. He was the only man, young man, that knocked on my door and asked me if he can cut my yard. He said, if I do a good job, then maybe you can hire me. I said, Alex, I'm very particular about my yard. It has to be right. I said, but I tell you what, if you cut my grass and you do a good job, I'll give you 10 customers. That young man worked, and he cut my grass like I did. I mean, the edges were lined up. I said, what? <laughs> I gave him 10 referrals, 10 customers. Fast forward about five years later, Alex has two trucks, brand new equipment, about a seven-man team, and before we moved out of our home, uh, where we sold, he had his young, listen to this, he had his young nephews working with him so that they can learn the trade. That's right. That's right. That's they can't do nothing but cut my grass. What are you doing? You're definitely not adding value to the next generation sitting there running your mouth. That's why we need each other. We need every race, every culture, because we can teach each other something. This church would not even be a church if it was not for one white man. One. 
My wife and I, we solicited black pastors all over the city. Not one of them helped me. I had one white man from Charlotte said, man, I believe in what you're doing. And to show you how much I believe in what you're doing, here's a $5,000 check. And you want me to be against white people. And you in this church because of one white man. Now, what does that make you? Blessed. Amen? Come on, somebody. Can I, can I talk to you straight without all of the crap? The next time we got a check, it was $8,000. The biggest check we got from it was $12,000. He supported us for a full year. And when he sent that $12,000, he sent a letter and he said, look, the Lord has called me to help somebody else in their ministry. And we was already able, we had enough people to where we could sustain the bills and God gave us what we needed in that first year. Man, y'all, man, look here. I do not have time to be racially biased against any culture group. When God can get resources from unlikely places, your resources may look like somebody that you've talked bad about behind closed doors. So we're going to repent today. I know I've said stuff behind closed doors. I've even used the N-word behind closed doors. I've even done that. And we say, well, we can say it to each other. No, we can't. You can't do that to each other. So I've already repented years ago for that. And I stopped doing that kind of mess. But we've all said something derogatory about another culture behind closed doors. And if you say you have it, you're lying to yourself. That's why we need to repent. My heart is grieved. Because we can't get it together. We hope you've been blessed by today's powerful teaching. Thank you for your continued prayers and financial support of this ministry. Visit us in person at 5805 West Highway 74 in Indian Trail, North Carolina. That's near Lowe's Hardware. Or you can find us on the web at www.changeatc3.org. That's change, C-H-A-N-G-E-A-T-C, the number 3.org. Or call us at 704-821-7368. Covenant Community Church, where the truth is revealed.